0: Hello, welcome to the Food Underfoot podcast. This is Melissa Sikulski, the creator and director of Food Underfoot. And welcome to podcast number two, Big Tree Energy. (coughs) Excuse me. So I am thinking about trees today. I went for my walk in Shenley Park this morning, saw the gorgeous eastern screech owl, and trees are just on my mind. Foraging food from trees, owls living in trees, mushrooms growing on trees, raccoons sleeping on top of trees, and just how much in general I love trees. But mainly I was thinking about the food from trees. So the first food I get that I enjoy every year from trees is just coming up very soon, maple sap. So even before the first day of spring, the maple trees will wake up, the sap flows from the roots of the trees up into the top branches, the buds come out, and then the flowers, the seeds fall off, twirling in the wind, the leaves fill the branches, stay like that all summer, photosynthesizing the sun's energy, turning it into food. And then the days shorten and cool, the leaves turn orange and red, and the sap runs again into the roots stored away for next spring. So I have two young maple trees flanking my back deck. Uh, In the past, I have tapped trees that I found sort of in the woods near a park near my house. But this year, I think I'm going to tap these two maple trees. So they're probably maybe about 10 years old, which I think is still a little young, but the diameter is pretty big on both of them. So I'm going to put one tap into each tree early this spring. And uh, I'm sure I won't get enough sap, of course, to boil into syrup. It usually takes 40 gallons of sap to make one quart of maple syrup. But The sap itself looks like water and it tastes like slightly sweetened water, but I consider it the first elixir of spring. I just love it and I drink it and I will hopefully be drinking some this year and it fills fills me with big tree energy. And so next, um, as the year turns on we will find luscious purple mulberries which ripen in june and mulberries look they look kind of like blackberries but they grow on trees uh the tree has no thorns And the berries themselves are smaller and sweeter than blackberries, and they don't have the hard seeds that blackberries have. Mulberries are absolutely delicious, and they are one of my very favorite berries. Most mulberries are purple when ripe, but there's red ones and white mulberries also. And sometimes the white ones are even sweeter than the purple ones. And if you want to gather a lot at a time, what you do is you lay a blanket or a sheet or a tarp out underneath a maple tree and give the branches a shake and mulberries will rain down on you and um, you will have plenty to freeze, to give away, to make into pies. And then I just want to stop here for a minute and think about, I want to mention the fungus, the mushrooms that grow on trees. They also grow on trees year-round, starting in the early spring with dryad saddle and then going into the chicken mushroom, the bright golden mushrooms that grow on trees, all the way from spring into through summer into the fall. And then in the fall, you'll find the hen of the woods. All three of those are polypore mushrooms which means they grow from trees, usually old, sometimes dead trees. They're shelf mushrooms. So not the umbrella mushrooms we're used to seeing. They're shelf mushrooms, and they have pores on the underside rather than gills. So polypore mushrooms. Uh, Dryad saddle, as I said, is found in April and May, and then the chicken mushroom, and then the hens. And I just love all three of those mushrooms so getting back to our plants we are now late in the summer early into fall and we have pawpaw tree pawpaws ripening and pawpaw tree is the northernmost tropical tree so we are pretty lucky that in pittsburgh we actually can get native tropical fruit this great pawpaw looks like a mango it tastes kind of like a banana, mango, custard. Really delicious. And um, there's festivals celebrating them. There's Paw town called Paw in West Virginia. I think the Paw Festival, one of them is in Ohio. There are, there are multiple ones. And maybe this year the pandemic will be contained enough that the festivals will actually take place. Uh, That would be nice. But so now we are into the fall and the nuts start to fall from the trees. Acorns, black walnuts. And now my new favorite is ginkgo. So I mentioned in the last podcast that I was going to talk about ginkgo and I am. I just, it is my new favorite. And you might know ginkgo from the, well, first of all, in the fall, the leaves turn a beautiful yellow golden color but then the female trees drop a very stinky fruit and the fruit actually sometimes people describe it as smelling like vomit i do think it smells like vomit it's a very strong smell um a lot of people don't like it i don't like it that much but i'm getting used to it because i just love i do love the tree and so these trees are super old, super, super old. These trees were growing on Earth 200 million years ago. 200 million years ago. I can't even wrap my mind around that length of time, so much so that I had to look up what else was happening on Earth 200 million years ago. What are we even talking about here? So there was only one continent, Pangaea, at the time. It was just about to split into two. The tectonic plates were coming apart, so volcanoes were erupting in massive quantities. There was just massive eruptions of volcanoes. Dinosaurs still filled the Earth. Uh, flowers did not yet exist no ants no bees so over 80 percent of the plants and animals from that time are now extinct they don't even exist anymore but ginkgo ginkgo trees exist still they were around then and they are around now and not only that this tree is so hardy that there are six Ginkgo trees growing within one to two kilometers. That's like half a mile to a mile, 0.6 to 1.2 miles from where the bomb was dropped in Hiroshima. And they survived. All the other plants and animals in that close died. So these trees were charred, but they were still living. And not only that, they Became vibrant and healthy again in a very short time, and all six trees are still alive today. There's plaques by them, and some trees, some ginkgo trees living today, are over 1,000 years old. These trees are incredible, they definitely have big tree energy. And this year, I collected the nuts and I cooked them and I ate them and it was truly an experience to remember and I just want to think for a second about my husband Dave Uh, he died two years ago as I mentioned in the last podcast but he'd always wanted to eat ginkgo tree nuts and he would you know say he wanted to eat them and I would just think how the heck would anybody you know how could anything from this tree be edible Uh, We never really looked into it and you know the smell of the when the ginkgo fruit drops it was just enough to to kind of keep us away but this year I was in Highland Park in Pittsburgh. It's a park that is full of ginkgo trees just a beautiful park And I was out stepping on the fruit. I love to do that. There's ginkgo trees in Oakland also near the library. And I just, when I walk by them, I go out of my way to step on the fruit because the feeling of the fruit squishing and popping under your shoe is just, I don't know, I love it. So I was doing that in Highland Park and I looked down and I saw the nuts, which I'd never seen before. The white nuts, they looked like raw pistachios, and they were separated from the fruit already. And there were a lot of them. So I just grabbed a couple handfuls, and they didn't stink the way that the fruit stinks. And I filled my jacket pocket with the nuts and I got home and I emptied them out on the dining room table and I kind of left them for a couple of days and then finally I went to look up how to prepare them and mainly I do this through uh, books if I have them but this this time I was looking at YouTube videos and then immediately I saw that the nuts need to be refrigerated if not used right away so they had already been on my table for a couple days but my house is pretty cold and I just rationalized that it would be okay. Um, I rinsed the nuts off and then I thought, okay, I better better make them now, not let another moment go by. So I watched some more videos and I saw a few ways to prepare the ginkgo nuts. Um, So one of the ways is to just take them as is. And this is, of course, once they've been separated from the fruit, which mine already had been. So I just have the shell, the nut in the shell. It looks like a pistachio, um, but not popped open. So one of the ways to prepare it is to cook it, shell and all, in oil on the stove, like saute it. And what happens is they pop open eventually, just like popcorn. But you need to have a lid nearby because these things are like projectiles. So when they started popping, I covered them up and you could hear them hitting the lid. And, uh, when they were done, I opened it up and the, the inside, the nut, some of them had flattened. It had hit the lid with so much force, but they turned, they were, the nut itself was a bright, translucent, like fluorescent green color. It was just gorgeous. And so that was the first batch. And the second batch, I cracked the nuts ahead of time and pulled out the nut meat. And so before they were cooked, they looked like a little kind of oval-shaped, pale yellow, opaque, not translucent, but opaque. And they're sort of split horizontally. One half is more, um, let me look at a picture so I can describe it better. For you. Uh, one half is kind of like a tan and the other half is even more pale yellow so it's kind of a bi-color, two-color and it's uh, so what you do once you get them out of the shell is then you just saute them in some oil on the stove and that was fun because you could actually watch them turn from this pale yellow brown color to the bright fluorescent green and they all, it, the, that horizontal line disappeared and it just became one green oval kind of nut. So that was the second way. <laughs> the third way that I prepared them was you crack the shell, but you don't necessarily need to take the nut out of the shell. So you just crack it, I assume, so it wouldn't explode in the oven. And this way you can bake it without using oil. I baked it at 350 degrees Fahrenheit for 12 minutes um and then when I pulled them out of the oven let them cool a little they were very easy to remove from the shell and they were that bright fluorescent green color so I taste tested them uh surprisingly they are chewy they're not hard they're chewy and they were really really delicious. My favorite, I believe, was the baked nut. I think it wasn't as oily as the other two. So, uh, but they were all good. They were all delicious. But one thing about ginkgo nuts is that, let's see, you are really not supposed to eat very many at one time. So online I read don't eat more than 10 there is a neurotoxin in ginkgo nuts that do not doesn't dissipate when you cook it. So it can build up and it can actually cause seizures in people. Um so It's a heat stable neurotoxin. It's a chemical that doesn't break down by cooking. It can cause seizures if you eat too much. So I asked my teenage daughter to try them, but she would not even try them. Why would you even try something that could cause you seizures if you eat too many? She's horrified. But, uh, you know, they are genuinely delicious. And uh, so after I had seven, I thought maybe I'm feeling a little dizzy. I don't know if that was just, you know, I was so hyper focused on how I was feeling. I said it out loud and she freaked out, you know, pushed all the she swept all the remaining nuts off the counter and into the trash. But that was probably for the best. Um, But recently I did read that vitamin B6 pyridoxine is the antidote for consuming for over consuming ginkgo nuts but i think it's probably better not to have to find that out but so b6 you can have on hand um or maybe just a b vitamin mix but anyway i can't wait i still can't wait for next fall to try to eat some more ginkgo nuts i just really really enjoyed them and then winter There are, you can find winter oyster mushrooms growing on trees. So the oyster mushrooms are different from the polypores that I mentioned before. Oysters grow on trees. They do have gills. They're white mushrooms and have gills. But they can often be found in the winter. And then you're back to spring where we are now. Almost, almost. We're still in the middle of winter. But the maple sap is getting ready to run and so we're starting the year again. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to the second Food Underfoot podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And please join, please join us over on patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash food underfoot. And you can support us there, support women in podcasting, uh, just There's a lot of blog posts, there's podcasts will be up there, there's going to be videos, our magazine is up there, and the February issue that came out is now available for everybody to look at. It's a sample issue, so you can see that's going to come out every month. It's a full color digital magazine, and we'd love to have you over on Patreon, joining the community there, and thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.